I mean, we're not talking about candidates here. We'd let you figure that out, but we certainly aren't silent on these issues. And that will uh, uh, even come up as we study this beatitude today. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 is where we're at. Now let me give you the context for this, especially if it's uh, your first time today. I'll just bring you up to speed. We're in a series here on the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. We're saying that in the last days, it's just a critical time for the people of God to be living the fasted lifestyle of the Sermon on the Mount. Much of what passes as Christianity today is a negation of the Sermon on the Mount, which is what Mahatma Gandhi said about 50 years ago. He looked at Christians, he looked at the Sermon on the Mount, and he, he didn't see the connection between the two. And so we're trying to come back to this. But particularly these Beatitudes, Jesus is pronouncing blessings on people. And every one of us wants to be blessed by God. We want God's favor. So this is a series on divine favor. But we don't always know how do we get into the place where God's favor comes down on us. That's what this is about. So we've really uh, talked about this for four Sundays already. But here we go with um, the f- uh, fourth Beatitude which is in verse 6, Matthew chapter 5. Jer- Jeremy, would you mind giving me full steam on that light there? If it's not already, maybe it's just me in the dark up here. It's already up? Yeah, it's a little better. Okay, so verse 6 of Matthew 5 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now those passages come through so quick, so let's say it together. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Let's pray. I pray, Lord God, that our hunger in this place would increase for the Word of God. We empty ourselves of our own ideas. We empty ourselves of our own opinions and our own experiences. Even though they've been true for us, they may or may not be true of your truth in the world, which is, which is your sovereign and your absolute. So I pray that we'd come into agreement with you. We know that your ways are different than our ways. Your thoughts are different than our thoughts. You see the big picture. I pray that today, as we get into the Word, our minds would be transformed. Reform our minds, O oh Lord. A lot of times we pray for a revival, but I believe we need a reformation, Lord. We, 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 we will not do if we just have like a Charles Finney revival of a couple centuries ago. Because he had a, a whole society with a Christian worldview. A biblical Judeo-Christian worldview. And he was just re- re- reviving those roots. Today it's not Republican, it's not Democrat. It's the c- clash between a biblical worldview and a humanistic worldview. I pray that we would see this, oh God. And so that's why I say just a revival won't work. It, it has to be a reformation, a transformation of our thinking. I pray that you'd start in my head, in our heads. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. On a couple of occasions, I've had the blessing of going to Honolulu, Hawaii, and visiting the Pearl Harbor Memorial there at Pearl Harbor. How many of you have done that? You've been there, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, 13 U.S. ships sunk, surprised by the Japanese on December 7, 1941. Many of our airplanes decimated. And uh, the centerpiece of the memorial there is uh, this white structure out in the harbor. You all have seen the pictures. um, That sits over atop the USS Arizona, which is still uh, underwater with about 1,100, I understand, soldiers entombed in that. And it's very, uh, oil still drips out of it. 65 years later, and there's this little oil rainbow on the water. And, and they're playing these old radio uh, 
broadcasts and and showing the pictures and you just it's sort of kind of go oh my did this happen and it did but the the part for me that was the most sobering was to hear the tour guide talk about what the divers found who went down into the Arizona right after it was bombed they they uh, went down scuba diving and uh, basically left everybody down there recovered some but what they came back with a discovery it was sobering for me I want to read it on the sinking battleship USS Arizona, there were many sailors who were trapped inside the rooms that filled up with water so quickly. Now, you've been on a ship, you've been on a submarine, we're talking steel, we're talking rooms, we're talking iron. I mean, can you, can you even picture this in your head with the water coming up and this thing sinking very fastly and uh, men many decks down? Um, trapped in rooms filled up with water, the men inside unable to escape. As the rooms filled with water... The sailors' desire to escape encompassed their whole body. They bent three-inch thick steel door latches and handles with their bare hands and, and dented cast iron doors. Cast iron doors. Dented cast iron doors before they drowned. These guys wanted out. <laughs> they wanted air. They wanted their future they wanted life, this, this passion and desire and eagerness and hunger consumed them, almost in supernatural ways. I don't know how that works with adrenaline and stuff to give people supernatural strength in those situations. But I bring you this illustration to show you the intensity of the words that Jesus is using here in this beatitude for hunger and thirst. These are not words that will be satisfied you know, this, this hunger he's talking about here, this word, is not a hunger that will be satisfied with a Snickers and a Pepsi. This, this is a, a profound, all-encompassing hunger. And I believe his followers that day and the people on the hillside would have known about that because Palestine was a place where destitute and hungry and famished people frequented. And so they would be aware that this word was, uh, was very important. Now, we here in the West... We don't deal with this level of hunger on a day-in and day-out basis. We've all been mildly hungry, you know, can't wait till dinner, right? You know, what's for lunch? I, I, in, there, in there snacking. Now, I want to say that it's possible that some of you are, hopefully not, but or have been in situations where you've gone hungry at night and you've gone to bed with that stirring in you. And I would just say to you, you have a deeper insight into this passage than the rest of us do because most of us in the West... Uh, the hunger that we've experienced has been slight. We have enjoyed the, the plenty that comes from being in a very prosperous and blessed nation here in the West. In fact, that's one of our society's values, that we'd never long for anything. We do not want our children to want. True? I mean, we want, we want them to have what we did not have. It's one of our key values. But here and again, Jesus in the Beatitudes gives us a truth that's the exact opposite of what the world is teaching. He's teaching here about the blessedness of longing. And this is where I come up with the title, but he's teaching us the value of starving in a, spirit, or a self-indulgent world. A self-indulgent world. Now, I want to say that I'm not talking, and he's not talking here, about physical hunger per se. Any more than in the first beatitude, he was talking about you know, real economic poverty when he was saying poor in spirit. He's teaching us a spiritual truth and dimension here. And I believe that he, in giving this, and us going over it again today, that God's heart is that we would have a shift occur in us. 
And I just ask you to do a little self-evaluation right now. Has this shift occurred in me? And I'll tell you what the shift is. A shift from having an appetite of the things of this world, for the things of this world, to having an appetite for the things of heaven, righteousness, and just the kingdom of God, which the Bible says his, his throne is, is, uh, is, king, is righteousness and justice. The, the, foot, the foundation of his throne is righteousness and justice. So let me, let me go. Has the shift occurred in you between hungering for the things of this world to hungering after righteousness and justice, his kingdom philosophy? And, and many times we say, no, um, it's not the case. I'm still hungering after the things of the world. Well, then you will not receive the blessing that God would have for you here. But if you have had this shift, I want to tell you, that makes God say, okay, you want it? You can have it. You want my kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? Okay. You hunger and desire my righteousness to come out. My blessing will now be loosed over your life. That's what this beatitude is all about. Now, I'm going to state the obvious here, but I want to teach in this several dimensions um, with regard to hunger. Uh, hunger is inseparable from emptiness. That's kind of obvious, huh? But I want us to think about this now, and this is point number one. Hunger and thirst are evidences of emptiness. Emptiness. And this is why so many followers of Christ today never enter the favor flow of heaven. It's because they have not been emptied of earth. They're full of earth. There's no room for heaven. It's impossible for me to teach into this topic today on spiritual hunger without first talking about the essentiality of emptiness. That's a word, essentiality of emptiness. I looked it up. I, I like it. But look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. Later in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is highlighting the role of fasting, and that's about emptying ourselves of food and creating a physical void. Look at this, Matthew 6, verse 16. He did not say, hey, everybody, if you ever decide to try fasting once, that's not what he said. He said, when you fast. He didn't say, hey, you know, some people have done this. Maybe sometime, why don't you think about it? If you ever do it, here's, here's what I want to say about it. He said, when you fast. In other words, he is expecting that a central part of the devotional life of his followers will be to empty themselves of the things of this earth. Food, whatever we would choose or feel led to fast from. It's a central part that we empty ourselves. If we want, ever want heaven to come, we've got to empty ourselves of earth. Some of you need to understand some more about fasting. Fasting is very simple. Fasting is creating a physical emptiness or void that God fills spiritually. And when we do this on a corporate level, we're doing that right now, 40 days face down leading up to the election. We have a number of you, and if you haven't joined us, join us. You know, Fast two meals a day, just eat dinner. Whatever the Lord leads you, it doesn't matter. When we do it corporately, what we're doing is creating a great emptiness in the earth realm that creates a vacuum that reaches into the realm of heaven and pulls down his kingdom and his righteousness. That's what we're doing. And you say, oh, no, I just feel hungry. I got a headache. Capitalize on this and go, oh, God, I, I, I want, you know, steak. But I want your kingdom more, oh, God. And I'm telling you, there's a spiritual transaction that goes in that. And the Lord goes, okay. Okay, we're getting the kingdom down there. We're getting the kingdom down here. These people are hungry for it. That's what this beatitude is about. Let's turn back to it. These guys, they look at these words, hunger and thirst. They know he's not just talking about a passing 
appetite for righteousness. You, you know what I mean? Like on the weekend, okay, we'll just kind of create a little window, a little openness, a, a, a couple hours on the weekend, and we'll get into the Lord's thing. You can show up at a service. That's not the hunger and thirst that's being talked about here. This is talking about uh, uh, every day of the week creating of a vacuum in your own life that pulls heaven down to earth. And that's the intensity these folks knew. So I have some things about hunger here. I don't think there's anything you don't already know, but I want to put them together with this spiritual hunger, and I think you'll begin to understand what's, what's here. When you hunger and thirst at these true levels that are being talked about here, nothing else matters. Some of you have been there physically, and you know, when you're at this place of hunger and thirst, everything else becomes insignificant. All of your energy and channel, even your biological systems, are beginning to reorient themselves to um, the, the acquisition of this nutrient that I, I don't even understand all that bio, biologically. But hungry people, you know, eating isn't a luxury, it's, it's a desperation for life, is what it is. And this is so important for us to understand. Hungry people will pay any price to meet those needs. I've seen them in Africa walk for 15, 20 miles for food if they know where it is. They're highly motivated when you're hungry, willing to sacrifice whatever it takes, do whatever it takes. And we wonder about the American church, you know, how highly motivated are we? But we're not hungry. When we're hungry for the kingdom, we're highly motivated. Nothing else matters. Everything else is insignificant. This, this pursuit, seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, dominates our interest. And then all these other things will be added to us. We've got it so backwards. We're after all these other things. And we just don't ever get them. We get stuff, we fill it, and we're still empty. We've got to get oriented to the kingdom mindset. So he's got... A hunger and thirst for righteousness, the biological imagery here. He's using this just as an illustration to help us understand what it means to be consumed with this. God's righteous rule coming on earth as it is in heaven. When, when you start to think this way, you get this a biblical worldview. Your orientation, your interest, the way you watch the news, what you pray for, is all like in a different zone. And people are like, uh, when, you, when you talk, they're thinking, whoa, you know, wh- where did he come from? I'm, I'm telling you, this is not of earth, what I'm talking about. This comes from heaven in its direction for you today. These first three Beatitudes, listen, look at them. They're all about a pathway down a road called self-emptying. Did that come across? Self-emptying. Starts with the first Beatitude, poor in spirit, basically, Lord, I got nothing. I got nothing, Lord, and it grieves me that I got nothing. That's mourning. And so I'm just surrendering to you and your leadership in my life. That's meekness. And right now, Lord God, I just hunger in a very profound way for you. That's what this is about. That's what it's all about. For years, uh, been a pastor, a chaplaincy, did that, hospitals. I've been around people who are dying a lot, a lot of time. Sick people, going to hospital rooms. And I've come up with, I'm not a doctor, but I come up with a question. I can kind of do my own little diagnosis. I just say, you know, how's your appetite if I walk into a hospital room? And uh, if they say, I don't have an appetite, I know that sickness is really present in, 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 a, in a greater way. But if they say, my appetite's back, I know that that is a sign of health. And it's the same in the realm of the spirit. When we have no appetite, I want to tell you a spiritual sickness has come upon us. 
But when we have an appetite for the things of God, there is a life. And Billy Graham, he wrote a book called The Secret of Happiness. It's on the Beatitudes. He made an observation profound, huh? Dead men don't thirst. It's true. And so if there's no thirst in you for living water to roll down on the parched places of the earth, well, it's because there's a spiritual sickness. And so um, I I would suggest to you that there's some appetite killers that might have gotten into you if you don't have a spiritual hunger and thirst. And so this is point two. Beware of that which kills spiritual appetite. Now, I've listed three. There's probably many more, and I hope you'll come up with your own list. But I would say that these three are worth considering, especially if you sense your spiritual hunger and thirst waning. Now, the first is what I would call the devil's delicacies. When we dine on the devil's delicacies, it kills our spiritual appetite. It's like, you know, you're into the cookies right before dinner. What's your mom going to say? Hey, you're going to spoil your appetite. And I believe that the devil has a situation like that. There are things, the cookies of the devil... Uh, that, that, that will take the edge off your spiritual appetite. And these things will subtly undercut your, your fervor and your relationship with the Lord. These are the things that you know are wrong. You know, are wrong. They're, you know they're not really good for you. But they still provide enough pleasure in you that you'll snack on them. And, and you know, after you've eaten a few of these cookies, you wonder, whoa, at the prayer meeting, I'm like totally thinking about something else. I'm not into this. There's no hunger in me for what we're talking about. I just sort of am in a, what's wrong with me? Well, I want to tell you, it's, it's not you. It's what you have brought in. It's filled you and killed your appetite. It's the devil's delicacies. The second thing is appetite killer on my little list. I just call it nutritional ignorance. A lot of people, they don't know, they don't know what to eat. You know, potato chips, Twinkies, pop, and, and they begin to uh, destroy what their body is most needing, and they begin to become malnourished. And I'm just making a comparison in the spirit realm that maybe we've been stuffing ourselves with the wrong things, and it's killed our spiritual appetite. We read everything but the Word of God, and no wonder, you know, no wonder, you know, that we just look through the book and then get, get sleepy, you know. And I'm not saying that, you know, these other things are bad. I'm just saying that they, they get in the way of, of the Word of God, and they kill our spiritual appetite. Or we gorge ourselves on our hobbies. Listen, we gorge ourselves on our hobbies and our, uh, uh, the, the things that we do in entertainment and, and television. Not that those are bad, but I want to tell you that they can stuff you into a place where you sound asleep spiritually and you're not, you're not hungry like it says to be hungry. Now, the third on my list is neglect as a spiritual appetite killer. Now, those of you who've been hungry or those of you who've been fasting, you understand that days two, three, and four in a fast, the hunger pangs are just like intense. It's like, I have got to eat. You're just like, but like day four, five, something shifts. And the hunger pains go away in this fast. Those of you who've done extended fast, number of you do 40 days, 21 days, whatever. You understand. It's 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 somehow in, in the natural, those weaken after a little while. And I find this to be true in the spiritual life. Neglect will be an appetite killer. We see these teenagers. They come home from camp. They're all fired up for the Lord. They were on the mountain. They were with their friends. God showed up. They're in the Word. Wow. Come home from camp. Two, three days go by, and they're like, oh, I've got to get in the Word. Woo, you know. And then about four or five days go by, and they're like, wow, what happened to my camp, the fire in me from camp? 
It's this neglect will shut down the appetite after a while, and pretty soon you are... This stuff is suicidal to your spirit, man. Neglect. And and you're not a teenager at camp, maybe, but I just want to tell you, it takes daily bread to feed the spirit, man. And if you let a few days go by, you'll say, oh, i got to get into the Word. But then three or four, five, six days, you're saying that every other day and then every fifth day, and pretty soon you're, you're, you're just dead spiritually. And I want to tell you the good news. Um, if, if you've identified out of those three something that's been an appetite killer for you, the devil's delicacy, neglect, or what I said was nutritional ignorance, all you have to do is confess. Just say, Lord, I just filled my, myself up with stuff that's going to kill me. I just empty that out. I just fast. I just, all I need is you. You can, you can start over with God, and he begins to restore your spiritual hunger. And this is, this is really cool uh, when, he, when he does this. I want to uh, frame the third point. I have three points today uh, in the form of a question. In the form of a question. And the question is this. Is righteousness what you really want? Just let that sit on you now. Is righteousness what you really want? We've got to be honest here. Some of us, oh man, we want God, you know. But we're not all that excited about God's ways. Huh? Uh, we, we, want, we want goosebumps. We want the blessing from heaven. We want this favor flow that we always talk about. But, you know, when it comes down to it, we kind of think the righteousness of the Lord is a bit extreme for 2006 America. And, and you know, we wouldn't want to be like a fanatic or a zealot about this. Uh, and, and I just want to tell you that this hunger and thirst is not just for any old thing. God's favor flow and the heavens don't open above somebody who just wants God. You know, it's got to be somebody who wants God and all that's about God. His righteousness in, in the earth. This is, says, hunger and thirst for what? Ooh, are you asleep? Are you with me? In verse 6, hunger and thirst for righteousness. There's three aspects of righteousness. This is Bible School 101, but I'm going to give them to you. First aspect of righteousness that we're to hunger for is that we ourselves would be right with God. It's called justification. It's called legal righteousness. It's the first level of righteousness that we're to hunger and thirst after. That's the progression we have in the Beatitudes. Uh, They're very specific. They build up. There's a sequence here. We acknowledge our bankruptcy. It grieves us. We, We say, okay, Lord, we'll follow your leadership. And then we become hungry and thirsty that we would be in a good place with him and right standing with him. And that's what this is about. Righteousness. The word justification, it simply is a word that means to be made right, just as if I'd never sinned before. And and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, I mean, everything else is insignificant. What most matters is is they do not uh, lose their close connection with the Lord. They have to be right with God. They have to have a close connection with God. That's what this is about. Now, the second aspect of righteousness takes on more dimensions. And this is where it's a bit of a rebuke to us individualistic American Christians. Um, The second aspect of righteousness that comes out of these words biblically is what we call a justice or a social righteousness in the earth. It's not just about me. It's about what God wants to happen here and whether or not people are being treated fairly. This is where we get um, a zeal in us for the overthrowing of oppressive governments um, the, the, and the evil that would come upon people. And people say, well, you know, what's Saddam? He didn't bomb you know, the World Trade Center. 
Well, you know, you, there, there's more to that whole story. If, if you were praying for Iraq in the years before, you would have a deep burden for what happened to the Kurds. And, and, and there's a righteousness in you. And there's a zeal to, to pray for the overthrow of Saddam Hussein's regime. And this, this, this goes from nation to nation. This is what we're talking about here. But even in our nation, there's, there's the Christian call is for civil rights. It's for the oppressed of the, uh, to be liberated. It's good news to the poor. It's freedom for the captive. This is social righteousness. And we need to have a hunger and thirst for it. And Amos says, justice will roll down like a mighty river. Our prayer meetings ought to have that kind of verse in it. Say, what do you pray about at your prayer meetings? We're praying, Lord, I pray that your justice would roll down like a mighty river that Native Americans in this state, oh God, would have restored to them that which was taken. That you would restore that what the, the locusts have eaten. That, that's how we pray into this level of righteousness. And then to be, get, a, get a hunger for that. A hunger for that. Even with regard to the unborn, um, the Bible says that uh, the, the, the martyrs, the slain, the, those who had their innocent blood shed, literally under the altar, crying out before the Lord, how long, O Lord, before you vindicate our blood? That's a prayer that's ongoing before God. As we hunger, thirst for God, we join in with these types of prayers. Now, the, the third type of righteousness is uh, moral righteousness. Moral righteousness. We begin to hunger and thirst to behave in ways that please God. The first thing, Moses goes up on a mountain. What comes down from heaven? What's God going to send down when we pull his kingdom and righteousness down to the earth? Ten commandments. It's a moral code. That's a dimension of righteousness that we cannot reject. As a matter of fact, when you start walking this out, let me just warn you. You will be vilified. And that's what it says in verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. I just want to tell you, you start living this lifestyle. There's going to come upon you an opposition because this will go countercultural uh, to the world. But the, the, the Lord has put it on His people throughout the centuries to bring in uh, moral righteousness in the earth. And I, I wrote uh, 10 years ago about this beatitude, and I, I, I said, you know, righteousness is an old archaic word that you never hear outside the walls of the church. And then I said, in fact, I haven't heard it in the church in a while. But you know what? That's changing. I really believe, I don't think I could write that again. I am seeing the, the righteous zeal of the Lord bubble up in the people of God. Tony Perkins from the family uh, research council in Washington, D.C., he said, hey, the value voters showed up on the screen in the 2004 election. It's coming out, and I say, don't quench it. And, and, and what, what's happening, I'll tell you what's happening, going back to our righteous roots as a nation. All over in Washington, D.C., all that marble, you, you find God's name everywhere. You know, the least uh, 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 devote follower of Christ that signed the Declaration of, of Independence, probably Thomas Jefferson. But even he was a follower. He had the Marine Band lead chapel services every weekend in the Capitol building. You know, this idea of separation of church and state was just so not in our founding thought. So we come back to that. And, and here's a passage, and I don't have many passages to give to you today. Usually I just bullets, one, boom, boom, boom. But today, just the hunger and thirst, and then this verse. Proverbs 14, 34. Righteousness exalts a nation, 
This has been proven throughout history to be true. Uh, righteousness exalts a nation, but a sin is a disgrace to any people. In other words, sin will tear down a society. And you begin to see this. When a moral decay happens, a societal decay follows. And you can just sort it out through history. This happens. But when righteousness is exalted in a nation, the favor of the Lord, and that's what this beatitude. So those of us hungering and thirsting for righteousness aren't just like prude, Puritan, you know, out-of-touch people. We, we, we're seeing a greater spiritual dimension of what God has for our nation. And we know the route to that is not the self-indulgent, do-whatever-you-want idea. It's the emptying of ourselves and calling forth the Lord. I know what I'm saying is just, just rejected in most sectors of society and may even stir you in a wrong way. But I just want to tell you, I see a righteous zeal bubbling up. On our ballot on November 7th are three righteous decrees. And everybody in the states, you know, our, our motto, under God the people rule, we are going to get a chance to walk into a booth and make a righteous decree three times. You say, how come three? I know the abortion ban. The first is the abortion ban, referred law six, is a righteous decree that would stop abortion in South Dakota. It will have national and international ramifications, but it starts here. And so there's a righteous decree. We want you to vote yes on referred law six for life. Pray, though, there's great confusion. I was out to the reservation twice this week. We're working on this. And the, the president of the Lower Brule Tribe was with us in our, our conversation uh, for about three hours. And he was talking to us. He says, he says uh, you know, all our people, um, we don't want abortion. We don't want abortion. So we're voting no. We don't want abortion. And we're like, wait, wait, wait. Yes means no abortion. You see the confusion in this? And so a no vote would mean they rejected the ban on abortion. So the vote is yes. And, and so there's, I just think there's a great deception cloud over this uh, whole thing. But we need to be clear. And so we're teaching people, um, we're teaching people to make righteous decrees. The second, and you may, may not even know it's on there, but it is. Uh, because it, it's uh, not gotten the press at the abortion one. Amendment C is a righteous decree. It would put in our state constitution that a marriage is only between one man and one woman. It's a righteous decree. It wasn't something we had to like make years back, but now we do. And some people say, well, it's not. The, the opposing people on this would say, no, you don't need to make this because it's already a state law in South Dakota. Well, all you have to do is look at the other states. All it takes one activist judge to like overturn that. And so that's where we're putting it at a constitutional level this issue of one man, one woman, because this is the best environment for children. So a vote for this is a ministry. It's a ministry of, of voting. And there's, I, I, again, a great cloud of deception on this. Um, we, we are the 21st state to push this. And uh, in the 20 states before, it's been a, a high margin of, of victory for a marriage amendment in 20 states. South Dakota's the 21st. Guess what? We're behind seven points in the polls. Behind. In other words, the momentum snowball on this issue could stop in South Dakota. We're seven points behind. And you say, what? Aren't South Dakotans uh, for the marriage amendment? Uh, or, or are South Dakotans you know, for gay marriage? The answer is no, no. No, our legislators in 2005, 75 to 28, said we need this. 75 to 28. It's not because people are for gay marriage in the state. The reason is because there's been 
a, a successful campaign on the other side to say this isn't about gay marriage. They don't even talk about that. They say, hey, this is going to hurt senior citizens, uh, senior citizen couples who don't want to remarry because they can keep their Social Security benefits, and they won't be able to make legal decisions, medical decisions for one another. And so this is discriminatory. Well, I just want to tell you how, how, how much that is not the issue. In fact, if you want to make medical decisions for somebody, just go get a power of attorney. You know, I, I have done that for my grandmother when she was alive. She just passed away a month ago. And my mother, I'm her power of attorney, and I've been... Just go do that. The issue is not, you know, what this will mean for our senior citizens. I'm just telling you, it's a righteous decree. And the third one is this. It's called Initiated Measure 7 on the ballot. The ballot's dense this time. If you haven't seen it, we'll show it to you. Initiated Measure 7 repeals video lottery. And you say, whoa, is this like in the Bible? Is that going to speak against video lottery? Well, you know what I'm going to tell you. It's a justice issue for the poor. It's a justice issue for the poor. There's literature on this. Uh, you, you need to get it and, and, and read it. There's a deception on this as well. Hey, that our state can't pay for this. You know, because we're so dependent upon the income from video lottery. Well, let me tell you, it's only 4% of our state's income. And that's an, the same amount of, to make one mile of a South Dakota highway. I'm thinking we can figure out another way to pay for that loss. Especially since those who are involved in ministry and law enforcement dealing with the issue of gambling will tell you how much more this costs our state to fix the problems this thing causes. Now, all you have to do is talk to one of our police officers. I talk to them all the time. I'm a chaplain down there. They will tell you our jails are full of people. This is destroying homes. It's an addiction. You say, no, it's just a stupid tax. Well, you know, there's a, a liquor store in White Clay, Nebraska that's just below the reservation over there, and Native Americans are buying $15 million worth of beer down there. It's just a stupid tax. If they're dumb enough to walk down, no, it's not about them being dumb. It's called an addiction. Gambling is the same way. And the church has a voice in this. The church can shut down the vices in our society and bring the righteousness of God, of God back. And it's just six months ago, I went and told a, a woman, and this woman had no clue I was coming to her house. I went to tell her that her husband shot himself in the head. She just like, this wasn't even in her, in her uh, categories for what would go on. And, like, why? I, I, she knew he had, you know, a problem with gambling, but... Uh, well, we just had to say what we think happened was he got he had a construction business and he got two thousand dollars worth of checks from small jobs that were going to go to pay you know Menards or whoever they weren't his checks they weren't his but he cashed all of those in a video lottery place and lost them all and went out and shot himself. I'm telling you, it's a justice issue on behalf of the poor. It is not helping our society. Now there's a uh, a website. It's called Forward South Dakota. Just go read on this. Make good decision. You, you've heard um, uh, how we're, 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 we're talking about this. But their, their website is called Forward South Dakota. And I, I really like that because what I'm teaching here is how to move forward into a place of blessing. Forward. Everybody say forward. Okay? Now here's the story. I end with this. There is a... Uh, a lady named Cecilia Fire Thunder, who has been the president of the uh, Pine Ridge tribe. And when Governor Round signed into law the abortion ban, she said, you know, we, we'll invite Planned Parenthood to open up a clinic on our reservation. Well, all her uh, 
council people and her people in the, Ro- or the Pine Ridge tribe like, uh-uh, we value human life. Children are sacred to the Lakota people. Um, and they impeached her, <laughs> uh, is what happened. And here's, here's what, in the Tucson paper this week, there's a headline that says, South Dakota activist continues her stand in Tucson. She pops up down there. And she's given the same message. And, and, and she's talking about what happened in South Dakota and how all these people are like against abortion and how unfair that is. And her comment is, and we'll put it up, she said, in South Dakota, it's almost like we're moving backward. And I thought about that. I thought... Yep, we're moving backward. We've made some unrighteous decisions in days past, and we're returning now to our righteous roots. And I thought, you know what? I bet every time the devil gets backed down by the people of God, he's going, hey, we're going, we're ret- we're going backward. We're retreating. Let me tell you that a, when the devil is going backward, the kingdom is going forward. Amen? Amen? Let me pray. Father, I, I believe we get it. I believe we understand it. I believe that the kingdom is our desire here. We hunger and thirst for righteousness. And we don't want to be arrogant about that. We just repent that we have been so silent in days past. And uh, we, we know you can legislate morality. I thank you there's laws against murder. I thank you, God, there's laws against crimes against women. I thank you, God, that there's laws against stealing that have historical direct rooting into the Ten Commandments, thou shall not steal. I pray that we would begin to think clearly about how it is a nation is governed and what brings a blessing on the nation. We want to hunger for that more. I know that there's people here that are just stirred on this. This is the righteous zeal bubbling up. We want the the righteous zeal of the Lord here. And I thank you, God, for today. I thank you. I pray this in your name. Amen.